Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy. I believe that we are all so much more powerful than we can possibly understand. My goal with these conversations is to introduce you to brave, vulnerable people who are finding and owning their awesome. My guests are leaning into what makes them unique and sharing that uniqueness with the world. I hope these conversations inspire you to break free from whatever is holding you back and to step into your own greatness. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My guest today is Kristen Hankey. She's an intuitive eating coach, certified yoga instructor, and self-described integrative chef. When she's not explaining what two of those three things are, she's busy facilitating honest conversations about necessary topics such as spirituality, poop, sex, and learning to reconnect to your inner wisdom. I adore you and your bio. It is just it is so you. <laughs> so welcome, Kristen. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Gilf. Thank you so much for saying yes to this opportunity. Oh my God, of course. I'm flattered, honored, all the things. So let's start out with the surface stuff. Sure. The stuff that you have to explain two out of the three things. Start out with an intuitive eating coach. Yeah. What is an intuitive eating coach? So I am like the opposite of a personal trainer or a diet coach. I basically work with clients to identify what it is that they specifically and their body needs. Um, We are just in a, a an overloaded uh, cultural time right now where there's a lot of diet information and everyone is looking for a plan to follow. And a lot of times those plans, it's like they work for some people, but they don't work for everyone. And people get really stressed out when they try something and it just doesn't work for them, but it's, it all has to do with their unique genetic makeup. So I really go into unpacking, you know, all of our beliefs around, um, you know, why we are the way that we are as far as like the food that we eat and the snacks that we're attracted to and the comfort food that we lean towards. And, and then just being really intentional and mindful about what goes into our mouth and, and taking out the, the habit and thinking about why we eat the things we eat and why we move the way we move and why we make the choices that we make. Um, just getting back to inner wisdom and intuition and, uh, yeah, I mean, I could rant on that for a really long time, but that's a. Okay. I love it. How did you get there? <laughs> it was actually incredibly accidental. And I know that it super annoys me when people are like, I'm an accidental entrepreneur, but it, it did happen that way. Um, but it didn't, it didn't start. It started way, way back when I, honestly, when I was a child and I was a typical you know, kid who ate for comfort and the things that nine-year-olds eat when they want to feel cozy are like mac and cheese and, and spaghetti and ice cream floats and things like that. And so I was kind of a chunky, chunky monkey when I was little and then um, went through a, a very similar progression that a lot of women go through from, you know, discovering that boys are on the planet and deciding not to eat anymore and like doing lots of cardio and then discovering, you know, overtraining and, and just, fighting calories with output and just continually earning the right to eat essentially in my, you know, in my exercise. So that led me to, um, a a real classic, like bottom of the barrel breakdown where I injured myself overtraining one summer and was really stuck alone with myself and had to figure out how to heal my body and nourish myself when I couldn't go anywhere and I really couldn't do anything. And so I ended up 
um, becoming really interested in how to fuel my body correctly and how to heal myself from the inside out. And so I pursued cooking uh, in the form of cooking classes and courses and working with specialty chefs to learn about um, all of the different facets of holistic uh, health and wellness as far as cooking gluten-free and paleo and working with allergies and sensitivities. And I just became really, really passionate about it. And so the passion for the food itself coming at it uh, as someone who just liked to eat and enjoy really, really good food, but then later attaching the power of food as medicine to it, um, that became just a huge passion point for me. So there was a, a time when I tried to be a private chef because I was like, oh, I love food and sharing it with people. So I'm going to go out and chef. And I realized that you know, cooking, not only was it life-giving, but it was an art form for me. And there came a time when I just, I was like, I can't make healthy chicken nuggets for your four-year-old anymore. Like this is not a great expression of my art. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so I realized that personal chefing wasn't for me. Um, but then fast forward to, you know, actually only this year, really, when I was sharing, I, I still private chef for, for small events and for retreats and things like that, when it's someone or a group or a cause that I really believe in and, and being able to add my expertise and my gift to that area is always really amazing. So I had gone and I was chefing for a, a retreat and I had, had all these amazing conversations with women around my personal ethos around food and just shared a bunch of healthy vegan recipes and just loved on them, you know, through food and through cooking. And when I came home, I had a bunch of messages in my inbox about, you know, asking me questions about intuitive eating because I talk about it all the time and asking me questions about my food and my recipes and how to listen to your body. And it really just spiraled in a great way, like from there. So I have so much to say. One <laughs> is that your food is amazing. I've been lucky enough to enjoy it. Um, and it's made with so much love. I know a few people, hmm, I think this was on the ritual podcast. They talk about how you can hear, you can taste and feel like whether love or hate was put into the food oh, that you're eating. That's totally true. Ask my husband on the days when I'm pissed, like that food, it is salty. Like it is. <laughs> and I cannot make food for somebody that I don't like. Like it's totally true. Can't do it. That's so interesting. <laughs> okay. So then the other thing I was thinking about is, so people are asking you like, how do I listen to your body? Mm -hmm. So I don't know how else to say this other than what the fuck? Why are we asking? How do I listen to my body? Oh my God. Such a great question. But I mean, because so many things starting from such a young age tell us not to like, mm. we are socially conditioned to tune our intuition out and to tune our own bodies out. It's like we have, and you know, I'm going to get into some dicey territory here, but it just, it's, it's so many things. It's school, it's religion, it's your parents, it's your, I mean, it's everything around you. It's people telling you how to dress and it's people telling you like what you can eat and what you can't and how fat you should be or how skinny you should be. Or like, it's all of these, um, all of these hard rules that are passed down. And, you know, it's, I think putting kids in school at a really early age when their instinct, when their intuition tells them to like run free and like get dirty and like play and do all of these things and be totally in their creative energy. It's like we're shifted, like society shifts us from very early on to listen to whoever is in charge of the room or the activity or whatever, and to stop listening to ourselves. And I think that builds up over time. 
And then you get um, awesome peer pressure once you get to a certain age and you've got the like rule following kids. And then those kids are like, oh, well, you know, we don't do this or we do do this. And then people, everyone just wants community and everyone wants to belong and no one wants to be weird and nobody wants to stand out and no one wants to be alone. So I think we all just kind of band together and do whatever, you know, whatever everyone else is doing. And, and that that's how we get lost. Like that's, that's when we stop hearing because you only get so many signals. And then when you learn to ignore the signals for so long, it's like, they just kind of disappear after a while. Yeah, of course you crush it. You dim your light. Yeah. Over and over again with what I call the shoulds. Yeah. (laughs) All those rules. (laughs) No shoulds are shitty. (laughs) Whenever, Whenever you hear or think the word should, Know that it's someone else's idea. Yeah. Not yours. And I Definitely not your intuition. I went super hippy-dippy with that. I was like, oh my God, schools and religion, they just leave. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm thinking back to, I've been gluten-free for a long time, 10 years, something Mm -hmm. like that. And I remember when I first went gluten-free, I actually had such validation because I remember as a kid, my dad used to eat this puffed wheat cereal. And the smell of that and the smell of rye bread both used to make me gag. Oh, that shit is disgusting. Yeah. That puff cereal, man. Ugh. Ugh. So gross. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought it was so interesting that like, oh, it turns out that the smell bothered me and my body doesn't want that stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's amazing that you connected that. Like, it's yeah. really amazing that, you know, and maybe it wasn't like super conscious, but you're like, no, I'm having a reaction. Mm-hmm. So you acknowledge that you're having a reaction. You know, it's, um, I talk about this fairly often with my clients where it's like, you, we have to get into the practice. Like we, we learn how to tune back in and we learn how to listen. That's what all of my work with them is around. But it, it's such a process because I, one of my favorite examples of this is when I, you know, when I go out, so going out can be super challenging for anybody who's trying to be healthy. Cause you just don't know like what's in something. And if you're going to be able to find something that works or not and how much to indulge and how much not. And, you know, so I went out recently with my husband and I was, I had wanted, um, I wanted a dirty martini really bad. Like I love dirty martinis and I tell this story often. So if they've already heard it, sorry guys, but it's a great example of what I'm talking about. So I wanted a dirty martini. I'd been thinking about it for two days, actually. Like I had wanted it the night before, didn't do it. And I was like, no, I still want one. So I'm going to have one. So I ordered one before dinner. We're all just talking, hanging out and I had it and it was everything I could have dreamed of. It was extra cold, extra dirty, lots of olives. It was great. Loved everything about it. And then the waiter came by to take my order for dinner. And he's like, would you like some wine with dinner? And I was like, yeah, like didn't think about it at all. Just yes. Because used to, if you ask a girl, she wants wine with dinner. Yes. Always wine all the time. Um, but I don't actually drink very much anymore, uh, except for socially. And so I answered yes before I even thought about whether I wanted it or not. So when it came, you know, I, I picked it up and I smelled it and I took a sip of it. And as soon as I took a sip of it, I was like, I don't even want this. Like this glass feels very full. Like I don't want this. And I, you know, felt bad because it's like a great French rosé and it's going to go great with my lamb chop. And I'm like, oh, I'll take a couple more sips. So I took two or three more sips and my face, I mean, my face flushed, my stomach immediately was like talking to me. It didn't taste good. Like normally a glass of wine tastes really good if you want it, but I didn't. And so those were all like my body was 
kicking in right away. And I was like, Hey, you don't want this. Like you don't need it. And so I just left it, which used to would have been really hard for me. And I just, I just left it. I was like, I took a couple glasses of this like $15 like glass of wine and now I'm going to leave it. But had I finished it, I would have felt sick and I would have had a headache the next day. And so normally when you feel the ill effects of food or, or beverages the next day, it's because something in there didn't agree with you. That's why some people can drink, you know, three vodka cocktails and wake up the next day, not have a headache at all because their, their body processed it fine. Like they're fine. Not that that's great. I don't encourage you to do that, but that's also why some people can eat cheese and it doesn't do anything to their skin. It doesn't make their stomach blow up anything like that. But if I eat cheese, I pretty much immediately feel the effects or similar to you, like the gluten. I always loved it. Um, and it was my favorite thing. I always felt bad, but I didn't know because I ate it so often that I didn't know how it felt to feel good. So it took me a really long time. Like I had to cut it out completely. And only when I added it back in, did I realize that that familiar, like rocks in my stomach, sweaty palms, drowsiness, headache is not a normal reaction to food. And I think we're all having reactions to things all the time. We just aren't going slow enough and we're not thinking or being thoughtful about it. And so we're not catching it. Yes. Oh, you've just said so much good stuff. Um, where is, where do you start with your clients? So I always start with, I mean, like day one, I was born, I start with asking them kind of what their, what their history is with food and what their relationship is with food. And sometimes that's really woo woo for people just depending on where they are. And so I'll be like, do you hear that? I'll be like, when, you know, where did you start when you were younger? Like, did you eat a lot as a kid? Were you a picky eater? Like I'll ask very common kind of like, did you skip meals in college or like college or high school? Um, how do you feel about food? What do you eat now? And I just kind of go into that. And then when I have them do their, uh, their intake form, I ask them what their go-to foods are, um, when they are stressed or when they're bored or like what their favorite treat is. And then I ask them what any quote unquote bad food, like what do they feel like their bad foods are? And so they share that with me. And then normally the first thing I do is I go through with them on a call and I address number one, the food that they feel like is bad. And we start working right away on that word. Like there is no food in this world that is bad. Like we need to take the moral association away from our food. Like you are not a bad person for eating something. And you also cannot be a better person for eating something. So I take that off the table right away. And we, we go over that, um, as, as we work together many times because it'll come up, Oh, I was bad this weekend. I'm like, were you, did you hit someone with your car and then drive off? Like, were you bad this weekend or did you eat a donut? Like, what are we talking about? And so we just, we get away from that. But the other thing that I do is I introduce what I call upgrades or swaps. So I never take something away from someone without giving something back. And so what I do is I invite them to see the opportunity that lies in front of them to replace the thing that they enjoy with just a healthier version of the thing that they enjoy. Or I dig in with them into the thing that they're actually craving And we address the craving from like, from a, what you actually need standpoint. Like if you're craving salt, you probably need minerals. So it's like, if you're craving potato chips, first of all, let's make sure that you have enough minerals in your diet to help with the cravings. But then let's also give you something crunchy 
and savory so that you still feel like you're, you're getting that so that you feel awesome, but it'll just be, um, elevated ingredients so that it's not wreaking havoc on your body when you have it. So that's really, because when you're coming out of a lot of my clients are either, um, cereal dieters or they are coming out of the fitness world, which I was also in, as we've talked about a little bit, with the bodybuilding and the eating six times a day out of a Tupperware and weighing your food and obsessing and not having any fat and all of that. So we are undoing all of that. And so the last thing I want to do is trigger them by restricting and taking something away from them. Yes. Okay, so two things you're talking about that I want to talk about. First is language. Yeah. That, okay, so whether it comes to eating or being, mm-hmm. period, language matters. Oh, it sure does. And when thinking about food, I, I remember I'm allergic to shellfish. And I remember when my grandparents would say, oh, does Kelsey still not like shrimp? <laughs> and I was like, no, it'll kill me. Yeah. You're like, uh, I like it just fine. They just don't like me very much. Yeah. <laughs> but it's such a like lack of, you knew all of a sudden I'm not being seen. Yeah. So it's really interesting to dig into that. And obviously the good versus bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big time. Uh, yeah. And I think, and you're totally right. Like that reflects to every, you know, every part of our life, as far as like, how do we associate our worthiness with performance or with, um, I mean, with anything, you know, it's like, when did we, get to a place where if you go into your closet, so I, I'm reading uh, Janine's book again, uh, Women, Food, and God. And it, I mean, it's a great book. It's, I mean, it's a little much for some people, but it's a, it's a really great book. And she was talking about, I'm going to paraphrase, but the story or the concept essentially is if you wake up in the morning and you had a great night's sleep and you feel incredible and sassy and you get out of the bed and you're feeling yourself and you feel sexy and vibrant and you walk through and your husband smacks you on the ass and you're like, yes, life's great. I feel great. I'm a sexy beast. And you walk into your closet and you go to try on a pair of jeans that used to fit you and they no longer fit. The instant spiral that happens, it's like all of a sudden you are like you're the same person you were right before you put your leg into that pant leg. And, but now you're doubting yourself and you're questioning yourself. You're condemning yourself. You're blaming yourself. You're shaming yourself. And you're thinking of a plan to make yourself better when you were more than worthy, like 30 seconds ago. So yes. Yes. So that, that the language and all the, I think it's, it's the meaning that we place on things. And that's where, you know, the words and the language come into place, but it's just the meaning. It's like pants don't mean anything. Yeah. Let's take a look at that. Okay. So we've got you, yourself, your mindset. It's all good. Your relationship with your husband. Good. Your health feels good. You go and put on like a piece of fabric. Yeah. All of a sudden dictates your whole being. Yeah. Your it's bullshit. Worthiness. It's, it's bullshit, bullshit, Kelsey. Yeah. Total bullshit. And I want to bust it up. I just want to bust it up. And it's, and yeah, I'm sitting here saying this. I've been there before mm-hmm. and I've done that, you know, and all I can do now is look back at 21 year old Kristen who would go and like, and do that and would cry over a pair of pants. And I want to hug her and say, you silly girl, like, I love you you're great. Those pants don't mean anything. Like as long as you feel good in your skin and you feel healthy, like 
you, those pants were too small because I was starving myself. The reason those pants were small is because I stopped starving myself at some point and I got back to my like set weight. And then all of the clothes that I squeezed into when I was 21 didn't fit me anymore. That didn't mean that I got fat. It means that I got healthy. Yes. There's, I mean, as an athlete, there are times I've put on jeans and they don't fit anymore. Yeah. And, and it, it's interesting because I go through a phase of like, oh my God, like that unworthiness, I like that flashes. And then I'm like, that's right. My legs are getting stronger. Yeah. My butt's getting stronger. Yeah. Blue those quads. It's hard to fit those in jeans. Everyone's yeah. got a hard time with that. I well, I remember when I was training all the time and my, so my husband is an ass man, like big time. And he lucked out because I have a big badonk for a white girl. And he, um, when I was training, like I, that was the time, that time really opened my eyes because I worked, I did a 16 week program with all the food measuring, was working out twice a day. I would get up first thing in the morning and I would do 40 minutes of fasted cardio. I would go home, eat my first meal, go back to the gym, lift for an hour and a half, slam a protein shake, and then like go home and shower and start my day. And I, A, I was sore all the time because I never recovered. My rest days were cardio days still. My trainer still had cardio on my rest day. Um, I was hungry all the time, even though I was eating six times a day and same boring stuff over and over. And my husband would look at me and he was like, like, you're not going to lose your butt. Are you like, is your butt, your butt's getting smaller. I think your butt's getting smaller. And I'm like, would you relax? Like, I'm just trying to get my dream body. And he would be like, yeah, but I think your butt's getting smaller. And I was just like, so blindly, like following this eating plan and working out and stressing. And I mean, a low moment was sitting in the car at 930 at night outside of a bar, eating cold fish out of a container that was in my purse while my friends were inside drinking because my timer went off and it was time for me to eat my last meal. And I hadn't, I was like sitting inside with my super buff arms, like drinking water while everyone is like having the best time and hanging out. And it's like, that is not real life. And the worst part of all of it, Kelsey, is that at the end I was 15% body fat, which is the low, I mean, that's the lowest, it's the leanest I've ever been in my life. And I remember taking photos to send to my trainer that week, my 16th week. And I cried because I thought that my body hadn't changed at all. And I was like, I don't see any difference. I just did all of this and I don't see any difference. And when I look back at photos now, I know how like truly broken in the head I was because wow. it's very obvious and I couldn't see it, could not see it at all. So how did you break out of that? Uh, you know, I think it really, yoga was like a really big one for me. Um, I got so burned out going to the gym that after that, like I was so disappointed and so crushed that I was like, I can't even like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it for me to go through this pain and all of this discipline and not have the results that I want. And so I just, I like threw up a white flag to my body and I was like, let's just, let's just be chill out. Let's just chill for a while. Like, let's not go to the gym. Let's just eat some sweet potato if you're feeling it and like go do yoga and calm the F down. Like, let's just do that. And so like, it's a t-shirt, eat some sweet potato and calm the F down. Yoga and yeah. Down. That's, that's pretty much that, like that set in really hard after that was over. And I was like, I'm just going to take a break for a little while and I'll get back to it after I've had a chance to take a break. Well, spoiler alert, I never went back to it. Um, but what I did do is I started practicing yoga really regularly and 
I eventually ended up going and getting my 200 hours uh, yoga instructor certification. And the summer that I did that, that summer is really the summer that I just fell in love with my body. Like that summer, it was there because there was just so much to it. There was the physicality, yes. And I was finally getting back some of the flexibility that I had lost because I was muscle bound from overtraining and not being able to heal properly. And so it's like, I was working through all of these blocks in my body, but I was also bawling hysterically on my mat all summer long. Every time I like unlocked something in one of my chakras or my hip flexor, a bunch of shit would come out. And Mm -hmm. so that summer for better or for worse was, I mean, it was like five years of therapy packed into a six week intensive training And, but when I came out of it, you know, I really, I just really saw myself and I saw Kristen for all of the things, for how funny she is and how smart she is and what a good chef she is and how well she loves people and what a great wife she is and what a good sister she is. And I just, I saw me as a whole for the first time ever. And I think I was really fragmented in my vision of myself before. And that really just changed it all. You know, it's like there was a, there was just a push. There was like a big push and it, all of the years of suffering and pushing and trying and looking all just kind of snapped into place. And I just kind of cracked open. What do you think you, it was that you let go of to allow yourself to see yourself as a whole? Uh, I think it was, it's control. Like I've always been a control freak. Um, you know, and a lot of that has to do with just how I grew up. I had a lot of siblings, younger siblings, and we had some challenging family dynamics early on. And I was really responsible um, for a lot from a very early age. And I felt the need to control my environment as well. And um, I don't, I know we've talked a little bit about this before the Enneagram, if you're familiar with that, or any of the listeners are essentially, it's a nine point like personality system, but it is, it ties into spiritual things as well. But on the Enneagram, I'm an eight, which is the challenger and the challenger's core like thing. All right. right, So we just had a little blip because this is real life. This is entrepreneur life right here. Oh my God. Yeah. So I'm just like diving into just sharing my soul and the, my face freezes on the screen Mm -hmm. and I lose all internet connection. And my husband instantly pops his head in the door and he's like, did something just happen? And I was like, yeah, my computer froze. He's like, yeah, that was totally me. I'm so sorry. It's like, I was like looking for something and I pushed the button and now it's, it's probably going to take a while. And I was like, Oh my gosh. He's like, I'm really sorry. And I'm like, you just, Oh, it's fine. It's fine. Totally forgiven. It's fine. I said, we're going to have to do a part two anyway. Yeah. It's no big deal. We are. He's like, can't she just edit it? slice it together. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure she can, but we, can. we definitely can. <laughs> but anyway, let's get back. Let's pick nah. up where you were saying the challenger. Oh yeah. So the challenger on the Enneagram, um, our core thing. So the challenger is a really strong dominant personality. Um, a healthy version of an eight is, uh, our current president. Um, but the, the big thing about challengers that is misunderstood. Wait, a healthy version? An unhealthy version. Oh, okay. 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 Of an eight. So essentially me at my unhealthiest would be very Donald Trumpish. Wow. And I'm not going to get into like politics too much, but just the traits that make him, you know, not 
people aren't his biggest fan. It's a lot of that is the unhealthy side of an eight okay. or this challenger personality. So the thing about eights that is normally misunderstood is people think that we want to control other people. And that's not true. The thing that drives us is the need to be in control of ourselves at all times and to be free essentially. And so I think where I was going with all of that is that my, my need to control my environment very much has to do with, with being in control of myself. And so that carried over into just a monstrous control issue and I couldn't let anything go and I couldn't accept anything as it was. And I think that even, even self-development for me was something that I was controlling. I was like, oh, well, I'm gonna control me and my environment by constantly like shifting and doing this and doing this and always trying to be better. And I couldn't be content and I couldn't have peace anywhere because I was constantly trying to shift something um, in my environment or in myself. And so I wait, think that wait, summer wait, of just, wait. yeah. <laughs> you just, so like, okay, you couldn't have peace and contentment because mm -hmm. you were constantly growing and looking for yeah. growth all the time this is so like, interesting because like growth is good right like if we're going to use the words good and bad we want to grow yeah. we do want to grow it's so <laughs> important to hold the growth and the desire yes. for growth and accept and love and honor the current Yes, a thousand percent. And that's what I couldn't, that's what I didn't know how to do. I thought that if I was being accepting of myself as I am now, if I thought I was giving myself self-love, that meant stopping. And that meant not trying to change anymore and not trying to grow anymore. And so I constantly pushed myself and I refused to embrace where I was in the moment while I was also trying to improve and to grow. And I think there's a big difference. I'm glad that you stopped me there because there is there growth for growth is positive, but I think a lot of us, and I have done this before, which is why I can call this out. A lot of us focus on areas of growth that we can control to avoid dealing with the uncomfortable stuff that we feel out of control of. So a lot of us use self-development to mask certain things and we draw focus and attention onto the areas we want people to look at so that we ourselves don't actually have to look at the stuff that makes us really uncomfortable. Yes. I just want to repeat everything you just said. So everyone who's <laughs> listening to this podcast, just like rewind that and just listen to that again. Let Kristen preach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, until my husband unplugs my Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got a few more minutes here. <laughs> Okay. So, oh God, there, we really do have to do a part two. Um, yeah. But in the little time we've got left, I want to talk about habits because this is, okay. I actually did a Facebook live on this today. And this does, this ties in with what you were just talking about and the habits. Okay. So habits, we sometimes think of a habit just as the, like a thing we do. You know, maybe it's the food we choose to eat. Maybe it's whether we eat with our right hand or our left hand. But our thoughts are also habits. Mm -hmm. And they're the thoughts that we have just practiced. So just as when we lift weights, when we do a yoga pose, we're learning every single time we do it. We're getting better. We're getting stronger. So the same with thoughts. Yeah. Every time we practice 
shifting a thought, a thought that doesn't work for us, we're getting stronger at that new perspective. Yeah. How do you work with that with your clients? So, and that's, that's an amazing question. I invite them, I invite them to look at the why behind all of those things. Why is this a habit? Why? Like, why are you lifting weights? Or why are you thinking that? Why are you eating that? Is it because you want to? Is it because it makes you feel good? Or is it because your parents always ate a lunch of KFC after church every single Sunday? Or are you going to the gym because someone called you fat and you started going to the gym and you've gone every single day out of fear since then? Like all of these, it's diving into why we're making the habits and where we're forming the thoughts and where we're forming the behavior. Because I think even in business, you know, I, like this is the rise of the entrepreneur, which is so cool and so great. But I think it's the rise of a generation of people who are finally asking the question. Like we've, we've broken through the barrier of the generations and we're like, we don't have to do stuff the way that our parents did. Like we totally can try something else. Like we don't have to do it the way our grandparents did. It's like, this is how innovation is born, right? It's somebody being like, well, I know you've always done it that way, but like, would it be bad or what would happen if I did it this way? You know? And so encouraging, that's the biggest coaching piece with my clients is figuring out um, what would it look like to just change up the script for you? Like, what would it look like in your life to, to make all new decisions? Like maybe, and that goes down to a lot of stuff. Like we talk about food, but it affects everything. Like getting back in touch with your intuition and being able to listen to your body is the first step in being able to listen to that greater intuition that runs throughout our entire life. Like if you can't trust yourself with what's on the end of your fork, how are you going to trust yourself to like leave a job that's secure, but that makes you miserable or to leave a marriage that is destructive and doesn't feel good or to like leave a friendship that is sucking the energy out of you. It's like, how can you follow the signs and do what's good for you if you're just following somebody else's script? Yes, 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 yes. And so I love, okay. Um, I just love how, what you're doing is you're teaching, you're teaching your clients the same way I'm teaching my clients. We're coaching around the same thing. Yeah. And yet the, it just the difference is yours involves food. Yeah. It's just the vehicle. Food mm-hmm. is my vehicle into their life. I trick them with tasty food. And then I'm like, Hey, let's talk about your problems. I mean, it's like, that's what I do. <laughs> we all have an entry, you know, you bought, everyone has their, unique flavor. And, uh, and this is why I'm so pro collaboration and so con competition. It's like you and I are coaching our clients on the same core issues, but the reason I reach my clients is because food is a trigger for them. And the reason that you reach your clients is because they have something else or you offer something else that like really appeals to them. So it's all about meeting people where they are. And like, we're both achieving something is so beautiful and sustainable in the world. And if I were like, oh, well, I can't be friends with Kelsey because she's a coach and I'm a coach. That's like that lack mentality that there's not enough like 
people with problems around for everybody. And that's just not true. You know, it's like, I need to coach. I'm like, I go coach my clients and then I call you so you can coach me. I mean, that's just, that's the life cycle. That's the beauty of this space. And I'm so grateful for it. I'm like grateful to be a part of it and grateful to know so many kick-ass coaches and, and wellness people like yourself. Yeah. Shout out now to any listeners that are coaches who don't have your own coach right now. Get a coach. Yeah. All the coaches need coaches. Yeah. We need like, we're like this matrix, this like connected fabric and we all, everybody needs a coach. Yeah. Woo. Coaches. All right. So Kristen, where can people learn more about you? I would say Instagram is my favorite right now. I am a, I'm a super nerd and, uh, I, I daylight as the director of a marketing firm. So I experiment a lot with, um, content and I really, I'm like a closet writer. So that's, I take to Instagram to like write love letters to people and talk to everyone. So my Instagram is, uh, alter tribe, but it's a L T H E R alter. Um, it's, so it's at Alter Tribe, and then people can email me. I really invite emails. It's Kristen, my name, C-H-R-I-S-N, at KristenHenke.com. I know there are a lot of questions and things around intuitive eating. Um, intuitive eating is a little bit of a, a buzzwordy topic right now. I think a lot of people are throwing it out, but not really explaining what it is, or what it means, or how to get started on that journey. So if anyone listening has any questions about that, would like some clarity, wants to have a really honest conversation, call bullshit and like talk about it. Like I am so open to that and I invite that. So please, please reach out. Awesome. We're going to have all your details in the show notes awesome. and we're going to have you back for part two. I love it. So Absolutely. much. Thank you so much, sister. I adore you. Uh, I adore I just, you too. <laughs> I love this gift of being able to share you with everyone. Oh my God, Kels, you're the best. I just love you. Thank you for, for having this show and for constantly, I listen to your podcast and get so much value from all the amazing guests that you have on. And I know that your listeners are really special crew. So I just appreciate you for sharing them with me. Well, thank you. They're now going to listen to somebody else <laughs> who's really inspiring and informative. And um, I wanted to mention about your Instagram feed. You guys, it's really good. Watch her stories, read her words. They're all just infused with so much love, just like her food. All right. Love you. Love you too. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Find Your Awesome podcast. I'd like to invite you to head over to kelseyabbott.com to grab a series of short meditations. And please come join the Find Your Awesome group on Facebook. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please tell the world in whatever way feels good to you. And please leave a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for being part of this crazy adventure.